welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 again this morning, so you can turn to that in your, uh, in your Bibles. Um, and, and while we're doing that, I, uh, I want to thank some people uh, for an incredible Christmas party we had on Tuesday. How many people were here on Tuesday for the Christmas party? So uh, uh, Sue, uh, Cheryl, who's not here, and Anita, who I think I did see earlier, is here. Uh, thank you guys for organizing it. Uh, I want to thank uh, Tamara, Jody, Dan, Kim, and Adam for setting everything up, uh, and Greg, Catherine, and Megan for you guys staying behind and cleaning up after all of us, and uh, maybe Norm, you can uh, pass on a certain message to a certain friend and thank him for showing up as well. So, uh, you know, this we're one week away from, from Christmas, and next week we'll be celebrating Christmas with our family and our, and our friends, and we're looking forward to that day. Uh, where we recognize the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm pretty sure, though, that he wasn't actually born on December 25th, year one. I'm pretty sure that wasn't the case. Uh, But that's not the point. It's not about trying to find out the exact date. We're just celebrating. We're marking the event. We're marking the moment of of Jesus' birth and his arrival here on on planet Earth. Because that arrival was the the beginning. It was the arrival of the Messiah. That that word Messiah means the Savior or the Christ. It's the the one that Israel had been waiting for. The one that was prophesied for. And there's hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. But the one in particular that stands out is Isaiah 7.14. Where it talks about how that uh, a virgin will give birth to a son. And his name will be Emmanuel. Which means God with us. And that's what happened. For the first time since Adam and Eve in the garden, God was now residing in a man, in, in, with mankind. And so Jesus here, fully God, but also fully man, walked the earth. And, and Christmas, in reality, it never stands on its own. It's not about Christmas on itself, because if, if that's all that happened, then we're still, we're still stuck in our sins. But Christmas always is tied to Easter which we'll celebrate again in a number of months, that, that, that really Christmas is sort of the, the comparison to D-Day when the Allied forces landed on, on Normandy Beach. And they began now their assault towards uh, Berlin where they eventually defeated Hitler. And that's sort of what Christmas was, was, was Jesus getting a beachhead. He was landing on planet Earth and now marching over the next 33 plus years to Easter, to Calvary, where he would overcome sin and death. And so it's interesting that, that the timing of this passage happens to be the week before Christmas, and yet the passage that we're about to study is very much related to that mission. It's very much related to that idea of how God has now come to overcome sin and death, and the terrifying thing is he's using you and I. He's including us in the plan. I say that's terrifying because I know how ill-equipped I feel towards it, but yet God's chosen to include us within the redemption work of humanity. And so we're excited to see what we're going to, what part we're going to play in all that. So in your Bibles, turn to me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read beginning in verse 18 to the end of the chapter. 
Paul writes now, now all these things are from him, from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we look forward to next week celebrating your arrival, celebrating your birth, but we know that that birth is also tied to your death. It's tied to the resurrection. It's tied to the new covenant that we are now partakers of. In this passage this morning, Lord Jesus, we see that we play a part now in your redemptive work, in your redemptive story. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that we would see that the strength, the power comes from you, but that we get excited to be a part of the mission. We get excited to be a part of what you're doing and see your name glorified. See more people come to find that freedom in you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so if you look at the, the first part of verse 18, Paul begins with the, now all these things. It's sort of a, a summary of what he was talking about before. And, and if you remember, we, we kind of looked at this section that Paul's going through, began really in chapter 2, around verse 14, and is going to go on to about chapter 7 and verse 5. It's the, the largest section of the book. I would say it's the most crucial section of the book. And where we are right now in, in uh, chapter 5, I would say is the pinnacle of that section. It's the peak. It's, it's the moment that everything's been building up to. A lot of people like to use the word crescendo, but my wife Joy always likes to remind me that crescendo is rising, but the pinnacle is the top. And that's what we've reached. We're not, we're not building anymore. We've reached the, the peak of this section here in chapter five. And, and really what we said that this section is all about what it means to be a minister of the new covenant. And who are these ministers? Are, are the ministers of the new covenant, are they the missionaries and the pastors and the people who are paid? Is that who are the ministers that he's referring to? No. Who are the ministers? All of us, right? We are all ministers of the new covenant. We're all part of a royal priesthood. It, there's no such thing as, as clergy and, and lay people. There's no, no sense of distinction between the two. We're all together in the same boat. We all play a role in this. Even if it doesn't look like we all do the same thing, we're all playing a part. In fact, other parts of Scripture, Paul uses this illustration of the body of Christ. And you think about the body, each part has a different role, but they all function together. They all need one another together to fulfill the mission, fulfill the ministry. And that's, that's what we are as a church. We have unique roles within the church, but together we are going to carry out this mission that God has invited us to be a part of. And so I think this, this passage is very special for us because what Paul's saying is here's how you can play a role in a lost and hurting world. So these all things, let's take a quick summary then, a quick reminder to refresh our memories of what the all things he's talking about. So he began the section again, like we said in chapter two, around verse 14, where he talked about this aroma, an aroma of death to death to those who are not saved. To those who don't know Jesus or don't love Jesus, they're going to look at us and they might be offended by us, and that's okay. But we're also an aroma of life to life. 
And so that this sense of the offering life to the church, offering life to people, that's what we get to be, this aroma. And then in chapter three, he talked about how we don't offer the law as a way of hope. We don't offer commands and, and moral living and, and just thinking that's what we need to get to. to, get to. I was watching a, a Christmas movie this season and, and I, was, I was really dis- discouraged by it because it's supposed to be the, the Charles Dickens story. And the Charles Dickens story is all about the, the gospel. It's about Jesus Christ and how he's the savior. And, and what they've done is they've altered it and they've changed it. And they said, really, the solution is just be a little bit better each day. That's no good. It's not enough. It's not going to rescue any one of us. And so the answer isn't in your performance. It isn't in what you're doing. It's not in the law. Instead, what we offer is the new covenant. See, the law is a minister of death and condemnation, but the new covenant, grace, offers life and righteousness. And then we saw in chapter four about God's big butt. Remember God's big butt? Hopefully you never forget God's glorious big butt. But we saw there how there's, there's all kinds of things we're going, we're, we're facing affliction. And I think that's important to understand. Just because we're saved, just because we're in this new covenant, doesn't mean everything's now smooth sailing. It's not come to Jesus and all your problems go away. It's come to Jesus and be equipped to face the problems that this world's going to offer you. And so we're, we're afflicted, we're pressured on every side, but God says, not crushed. That we're, we're perplexed, we don't know what's happening, but God says, we're not forsaken. And that we're, we're, we're being pounded over and over again, we're being persecuted, but we're not abandoned by that. And we're knocked down, but we're not destroyed because God is with us, God is in us. And so he says at the end of that chapter four that our our current sufferings that we're going through are light and momentary. That's not to say that they're insignificant. It's just that compared to what awaits us, they're light and momentary compared to this eternal weight of glory that awaits for us. It's something significant. It's something powerful. And then this passage kind of led into now, uh, the, the passage led into what we've been studying the last couple of weeks, which is in chapter 5, verses you know, 14 to, through 17, about how now we're compelled to love one another. And we're compelled to love one another because there's been a change of heart, literally, a change of your nature, a change of who you are, because not only did Jesus die for you and I and that we were forgiven on that cross, but you and I were placed into Christ. Remember the illustration of the folders and how we were taken out of Adam and we were placed into Christ Jesus and we were crucified and we were buried, but we're raised up now as brand new creations. The old is past, the new has come. You're already new. You already have new hearts. And because of that now, we can judge one another that way. We can look at one another that way. We don't condemn one another for behavior. We can accept one another based on the the knowledge of who we are, who God has made us. And so that's what he's been leading us to. And so now the question people often ask, well, if that's true, that, that we're to accept one another basis on the, the basis of your heart, what about the lost? What about the people who are still in Adam, who don't yet know Christ? Their hearts are not good. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart of man is, is evil, it's deceitful, it's beyond cure. Does that mean we get to kick him to the curb? No would be good. Yeah, yeah, amen. Getting worried about you guys, right? So no, we don't. But, but then how do we treat them? That's what he's going to get into now. That's what this glorious passage is all about. 
And what we're going to see here in verses 18, 19, and 20, in those three verses, you're going to see the word reconciliation appear five different times. Again, whenever you see repetition in the scriptures, that's a clue. That's telling us that it's giving us insight as to what the passage is all about. And this passage is all about reconciliation. Now, the Greek word here is katalasso, and it literally means to change or exchange. Sometimes we use the, redeem, the word redeem, but you have to think about redeeming in terms of like redeeming a coupon, right? If, if you go to, to McDonald's and you have a coupon for a free Big Mac, you are redeeming that coupon, right? You're trading the coupon in exchange for a glorious Big Mac, amen? Not Burger King, no, no, Big Macs, right? And so that's what we need to understand. What is it that God's exchanging? What are we trading in and what are we receiving back in exchange? Because, you see, it's not enough that God just offers you something to add to your life. It's not just who you are. And God says, well, let me add to that now some forgiveness. And let me add to that now a new destination. No, he's got something far bigger, far more glorious. He's offering us a trade. And what we're going to trade now is we give him our old selves. We give, us, give him our old natures. And he gives us a brand new identity. We trade him our shame and our rejection, and he restores to us and gives to us love and acceptance. We give to him hurts and disappointments, and he gives us healing. He gives us hope, real hope. We give him our sins and our failures, and he offers us forgiveness and grace. We give him the lies that we've been believing, and he gives us the truth, the truth of who he is and who we are. We give him our anxiety and our fear, and he gives to us peace and security. And finally, we give him the emptiness of our idols, those very things that we've been looking to for life, and he gives to us real life, real life that satisfies our souls. Can I get an amen in here? So it's critical now to see what, what's going to happen next. And in verse 19, what I want us to see here is that, that God is going to make the first move. He's not waiting for the world. He's not waiting for mankind to do something. Instead, it's God that's going to be the one that makes the first move. In fact, we actually see it in verse 19. Read verse 19 with me. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So God, through the person of Jesus Christ, was reconciling, was offering a trade to who? To the whole world. And the offer is that, that we might be restored and we might be reconciled to him. And, and then here's the key part, verse 19. He says, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their sins and their failures against them. See, God's not waiting for you and I to clean up our act. He's not saying the, the moment you guys figure it out, and, and you stop your, these struggles and you overcome these issues. And, and then, you know, when you, when you get it all figured out, then, then I'll help you out. He's not waiting for that. Instead, he's already right now offering us a hope. Already offering us a way, of a way out of temptation. That freedom from despair. That hope in desperate times. A strength in weakness and a perseverance even when we feel overrun. All we need to do is let go of what we're trusting in, ourselves or other people or our, our reputation or our finances or our career or whatever it is that we're hoping in, 
let go of that in order to receive and trust in Jesus. So God's already made the move. He's already made up his mind on the world. And the only question now is what will be our response? It's mankind's turn. And so when it comes to salvation, those of us who are in Christ, we've already made that decision. We've already decided to to trust Jesus. We've already decided to put our hope in him. And now what happens is you and I get to join in this reconciliation work. We get to join in what Christ is doing. Look at verse 20. He says, therefore, right? Therefore, every time you see the word therefore, it's a conclusion, right? You got to see what it's there for. And he's drawing in this conclusion. In light of all this has happened, because we have the love of Christ that's compelling us, because you and I are new creations, because we get to see one another the way God sees people, because he's reconciled to us, to him, and he's given us now this ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, you're, you're likely familiar with this term ambassador. Uh, for example, we have an ambassador right now uh, from Canada to the United States. Her name is, is Kirsten Hillman. She's a Canadian citizen, but she lives in Washington, D.C., And from time to time, she will meet with government officials and represent Canada in talking to maybe President Biden or some of the the Senate uh, senators or congressmen. But in reality, every person she meets in America, she is functioning as an ambassador. She is representing Canada. And therefore, she never speaks on her own. She never acts on her own. At least she shouldn't. A good ambassador is always acting on behalf of the government back home. And that's the case here, that you and I are ambassadors in this way. And in my study, I came across this great description by a man named Richard Lenski, which I think is is fantastic. So let me read to you what he wrote about this, being an ambassador. He says, an ambassador represents his government also in all its dignity. To scorn an ambassador or to mistreat him is to scorn and mistreat the government which sent him. To send him away is to break off relations with the government and the ruler whom he represents. An ambassador speaks wholly for his ruler. He is his ruler's mouthpiece. He never utters his own thoughts, offers, promises, demands, but only those of his ruler. An an ambassador's person lends no weight to what he says. To whom he is sent, see and hear in him, only the king who sent him. When you see the ambassador, what you only see and hear the one who sent him. That's the picture here that you and I have as now ambassadors for Christ. Meaning we belong to a different nation, right? Where our citizenship, remember Josh did a great message on that. Our citizenship is not of this world. That's why we're not trying to save a nation. We're not trying to create a Christian nation on earth here in Canada. That's not our goal. We're from another nation. We're from another, we have another citizenship, one of heaven. And so therefore, we're here now as ambassadors to to the city of of Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge, to to the, the province of Ontario, to the nation of Canada, but even to the world as a whole. We're ambassadors representing another, representing the person of Jesus Christ. But what I found interesting about this passage here is the term ambassador here is actually a verb, not a noun. It's not a title you have. It's a role you're completing. Literally, he's saying you are ambassadoring, present tense, you are ambassadoring for Christ. 
And so we're acting this out. It's a title job. It's a title description. And really what we're talking about now is, is evangelism. So evangelism is that fancy word we use to, to describe about sharing your faith with another person that hopefully in, allows them to be invited to this reconciliation, invited to place their faith in Christ for salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but often when I hear people talk about evangelism and the importance of it, a little bit of guilt and shame starts to grow up inside of me. Anyone else? Can I get an amen on that one? Because I, I start feeling like I should be doing that more. I mean, this is important. This is, we're talking about people's eternal destiny and their, and their souls and, and heaven and hell and, 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 and the, the stakes are high. And so I start to begin to feel a little weight on my shoulders. And I begin to hear voices that say, you know, I should be talking to my neighbors about Jesus more. Or, or maybe the people I play hockey with. Or, or maybe I should just talk to the, the stranger I meet at the grocery store or, or the person on the, on the, on the road. Or, or maybe, maybe the person who's sitting next to me on an airplane. I mean, after all, they are captive audience for the next couple of hours. And so maybe, maybe that's what I should be doing. And so I start to feel this, this weight. And it doesn't help when I hear stories of other people who've done that. Recently, I heard a story of a guy who was at a resort. He was walking to the beach. And, and while he was walking to the beach, two cleaning ladies, they said, hey, are you a pastor? He says, no, but my brother's one. Well, tell us the gospel. Well, you let me, here it is. And he shared the gospel and they came to faith in Christ, just like that. And I hear those stories and I'm like, man, that's too easy. How come I don't get easy? How come I don't have those opportunities? No one's asking me those questions. I mean, if I had those questions, it would be simple. And I think we have to understand there is a difference between someone who is the gift and calling of an evangelist and, and evangelism. You see, Think about this way, the story of Philip the evangelist, right? We, see, we read that story in Acts where, where Philip all of a sudden gets called by God to go for a walk, just walk out into the desert. That's it. That's all the instructions he's getting, that direction, go. So he just starts walking, not knowing where it's going to happen, not knowing what's, going to, what's, what's next, until he comes across an Ethiopian servant. And, and he is just sitting there on the side of the road reading through the, the, a scroll of the book of Isaiah, and I guess he's reading it out loud, or, or, or somehow Philip knows what he's reading, and, and he's confused. And so Philip comes to him and says, do you want me to explain what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, oh, thank you. Yes, please. And he explains it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus has done and, and, and the sacrifice that Jesus had made. And so Philip's, sorry, the Ethiopian hears this. He goes, what, what do I need to do to be baptized? What do I need to be, do to be included in Jesus Christ? And he says, believe. And right there. The Ethiopian saved. And then immediately, Philip is teleported away. Why can't I have that? That would be easy, right? But it doesn't happen that way for all of us. Because again, we have to understand there's a difference between an evangelist, the calling in the office, versus evangelism. Remember, if you, if you remember back in our study through the book of Ephesians, we saw there are four offices or specific roles within the church. There's the apostle, there's the prophet, there's the evangelist, and there's the pastor teacher. And, and that doesn't mean that not everyone has this, and everyone, everyone gets the opportunity to share and to teach and encourage other people, but there's certain people that God has called and set aside to those specific roles. And so, for example, I am a pastor teacher. That is my role. God has called and equipped me to do this. Not everybody is called and equipped to get up here and share. I tried to get Norm to do that up this morning. I didn't want to follow those kids, but Norm declined. 
because he doesn't have that calling. That doesn't mean he can't share, he can't teach, he can't offer anyone, but he doesn't have this specific role. And in the same way, there are certain people in the body of Christ that are evangelists. And they're the ones that find themselves in those situations where God just opens up a door, opens up a window, and they get to share their faith in some pretty spectacular ways. And that's what an evangelist is doing. But evangelism is something that we all get to play a part in. So you don't have to turn to it, but in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, Peter writes here that we're always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. See, we're all going to be called, we're all given the opportunity to share our faith. But you don't have to feel that burden to think that I have to be that evangelist unless God's called you, which is great and incredible. And if you have that desire, if you have that calling, go for it. We need more evangelists in this world. But we do need to understand that you don't have to measure up to that. Instead, just look for opportunities that God's going to give you as you share through, maybe through words, maybe through actions, maybe even just that presence of of being around people. We don't know what seeds we're planting that others may reap, that others might might be able to to reap the the fruit of. So this idea then that we're all ambassadoring, we're all called to be ambassadors, is we're all going to have an opportunity to share our faith, but in different ways. And again, I think we can still feel overwhelmed by all that. We can all begin to feel terrified about that sense of what am I going to say and, and how am I going to do it and, and what does that look like? And I think verse 20, again, gives us some help, gives us some hope to that. So again, verse 20, he says, therefore, we are ambassadors. Literally, we are ambassadoring for Christ as though God were entreating through us, is what my translation says, or, or as, as God was making the appeal through us, another translation says. Let's, let's do a little comparison. So that's the New American Standard that I read. Anyone, anyone have the King James Bible on them? Go ahead and read the King James Bible. Okay, that one has as, as if God beseech um, uh, uh, others through us, right? Uh, anyone have the NIV Bible? Anyone want to admit to that? All right, what does the NIV Bible say? Anyone? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. As though God were making the appeal through us? And we got Robin's favorite, ESV. What does the ESV say? Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. Okay. Do you see the difference in the ESV? I, I like the ESV of this one. All the other one says, as if God were. What does that imply? It's just you doing it, doing your best impersonation of Jesus, doing your best impersonation as an evangelist, but it's all on you, all up to you. That's not what the verse is saying. That's not what it, it's really trying to convey. The ESV captured it because it's, it's actually God in you doing it. It actually says God is the one making the appeal through us. And what's glorious about that is it takes the weight off of me and puts it back on Jesus. So Jesus, if you want to share your gospel, you're going to have to do it. Now, does that mean I get to go and sit in the lazy boy or go play beach volleyball while Jesus go and evangelize? No, because where does Jesus live? In us. 
but I can trust Jesus now to speak through me. I can trust Jesus now to lead me and to guide me. Who to speak to? When to speak? When to be quiet? What to say? How to encourage? I can actually trust Jesus. See, all he's looking for really are people who are willing to be the ambassador. Remember, remember in the book of Isaiah, where, where, where God's talking through an angel to the, to the prophet Isaiah, and, and he's, he's saying, who will go? Who, who will be the one? Who will be the mouthpiece? Who will go and share my word with my people? And Isaiah says, send me. I think that's all God's looking for, for us, from us today. Who are the ones that are willing to be sent? Who are the ones that are willing? Again, you don't have to go overseas. You don't even have to go very far to begin to share the gospel. And what a, what a great opportunity we have this week coming up because, you know, all kinds of family gatherings are happening or, or Christmas parties at work or, or with friends. Maybe that's the opportunity that God's giving to us where, where maybe, maybe God wants to share the, his word, his good news of reconciliation through you with your family, with your friends, with your people at work. Will you be the one? That's all he's looking for. And again, that appeal that we're offering to people, and I think this is where we've, we've often not understood it, is, is not about join the church so that you can serve and you can work hard and you can do more for God. We're not about playing church. That's not what it's about. Remember, it's the exchange. It's the offer that God's giving to them, this gift of reconciliation. And he, and he summarizes it. He says it so well now in what that reconciliation is in verse 21. That the offer is, but is, is God, that's the him who made him. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. What does that mean? Well, I, I want you to imagine I've got, I've got two glasses up here. And, and one glass is, is pure H2O, glorious H2O. Quenches your thirst, satisfies your, your, your mouth. It's just wonderful, it's just pure H2O. And the other one is arsenic. It's poison. Kill you. Well, God is, or sorry, Jesus is the, is the pure H2O. You and I are the arsenic. We're sin. There's something corrupt. We're poison. We're death. Jesus is life. And more than just putting your sins onto Christ, God put you into Christ. God made Jesus sin. How? By pouring you and I into Jesus Christ. See, what happens when I add the arsenic to the water? What have I made the water? I've made a poison. doesn't matter how much water is in there. The fact that I've added that arsenic, that water is now poison. That water is now death. That's what, Jesus did, or that's what God did with Jesus. He was pure. He was perfect. He was innocent. And you and I were not. And he baptized. He poured us into Christ making Jesus sin on our behalf. And the behalf, the reason is, the last part of verse 21, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Glorious. Now people look at that and that, that might become, and they think, well, oh, that means one day. One day we'll become righteous. One day down the road we'll become righteous. It's not future tense. It looks like it's future tense in our English, but the reality is it's the subjunctive tense in the Greek. And the difference there is the future tense is something that has not yet happened but will. Whereas a subjunctive tense is it may happen, it may not happen. 
We don't know yet. It's not unconditional. It's not guaranteed. And so that might become is that not everyone will accept this offer. But those who have are already right now righteous. You see, that's important to understand because there's, there's a couple of, of uh, I would say, false teaching going on around the church right now. One is this idea that all are saved. They just don't know it yet. Well, if all were saved, then there's no need to beg. There's no need to make the offer. There's no need for them to be reconciled because they already would be reconciled. But the reality is not everyone is saved. Those who have rejected Jesus up to this point are still lost. They're still in their sins. John 3.36 says that, right? That to him who believes, he has eternal life. But to him who's disobedient, to him who doesn't believe, the wrath of God remains on him. And so it's not universalism. I wish it was. Like if if I get to heaven and I find out everyone was saved, I will will celebrate and dance a jig. Because I do not wish hell on anyone. I would love to see Adolf Hitler in heaven. I just don't believe he will be there because not everyone is saved. Not everyone is universally righteous. Only those who believe, which is why we're making that entreaty, why we're begging them to be reconciled. The other belief going on in the church today is is often known as Calvinism, which is the idea that that God has predestined some to salvation and the others, it gets a little murky. Some say, well, God's predestined them to hell. Others say, well, we don't want to think about that, so we just ignore it. But the idea that God's only chosen some people to save. Well, think about John 3, 16. For God so loved certain people. For God so loved the elect. For God so loved the world. That who, he gave his only son that whoever believes, that's all that's required, All is needed from you and I is to believe. Whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the offer. God wishes none would perish. None would be lost. He's already made the first move. The question is, what will be our response? And as believers, what we get to do now is we get to be the ambassador. We get to be the the mouthpiece. We get to be the one that God is making the offer through to our family, to our friends, to other loved ones, even those who may be against us. We get to love those people and share that life of Jesus in and through us to them. That's the offer that God's giving to us. And again, the result, the ultimate result is this incredible gift of righteousness. I, I found this, this great definition of righteousness. I, I, I just love it so much. It's the state of him who is who he ought to be. Isn't that glorious? The state of him who is, present tense, who he ought to be. That's what it means to be right. That that God says, I've made you a saint. That's who you ought to be. And that is your current state. I want you to be holy. That's what you ought to be. So I made you holy. That's your current state. I made you good. I made you pure. That's what you ought to be. So I made you and that's your current state. Again, did you earn it? Is it based on your performance? Is it based on what you've done? Of course not. Then it wouldn't be a gift and we wouldn't need Jesus. But that's what he's done. That's the trade. That's what we get to receive now from him is this beautiful gift of righteousness, this beautiful gift of new life in Christ. 
that we're new creations, that we have hope in a world full of despair, and we have freedom in a world full of bondage. And the question is now, will we be that voice to others? Will we go and share that with other people? Let's pray. Father, if I'm brutally honest, I think, Father, you've made a mistake in inviting us to be part of the work. We mess it up. We drop the ball. We make far too many mistakes. And it would be way better if you did it yourself. But you've chosen to involve us. You've chosen to invite us. And ultimately, that's for our own benefit and our own gain. That we get to be a part of what you're doing. And in being a part of what you're doing, we get to see you in action. We get to see your heart. We get to know and understand your heart and your motives. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that that we would have the courage, like Isaiah, and say, send me. Not that we have to become the next Billy Graham, but just that we would be willing to be open to the invitation in the moment to talk to people about you to love people in our actions, just to be present so that you can be present to them, planting seeds and maybe at times even reaping the fruit and seeing people place their faith and trust in you. Because every time that happens, you're glorified and a party goes off in heaven. We want to see more and more of that. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.